it's not just about teaching you how to negotiate your salary. It's how do you position yourself to get the yes, all the work that needs to happen before the conversation around your salary. And then it's not just about this year's salary, it's about what are you gonna do with the money? How are you making your wealth grow? Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. My name is Shauna Gregory. I am the Chief Program Officer at Women Who Code, and I'm really excited today to chat with our guest, Claire Wasserman. Um, before I have her come in and chat more, a little bit about Claire. She is the author and founder of Ladies Get Paid. She has a master's certificate in behavioral finance and financial psychology, and is the host of the podcast, Friends Who Talk About Money. So welcome, Claire. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, one of the many reasons I'm excited to chat is that our communities overlap really naturally. So Women Who Code, our mission is to empower women to excel in technology careers for Ladies Get Paid. I know that you are championing the professional and financial advancement of women as well. Yes, yes. I am about power uh, and power and however you all define it, right? So power to me means choice freedom of choice, independence. It means the ability to stand up, to speak up, to get what you want. And so it's also tiring. So, <laughs> so that's what I do is I help women level up professionally and financially, but really in the pursuit of empowerment, both for yourself and for others. Yes, that's amazing. So there's so many topics I would love to cover in our conversation, um, but just starting with the main one, which is getting paid. And I know that is one of many aspects of empowering women in their careers or empowering people. Um, but what inspired you to focus on this aspect of financial advancement? Yeah. Uh, long story short, I had a pretty sexist experience that kind of woke me up in the sense of I, and this is very privileged to me, I assumed that parody we were close to it, both in terms of how much we were being paid, were women being promoted? I, I, I thought... I didn't realize how sad the statistics really are when it comes to women and the wage gap, uh, the investment gap, the funding gap. And this sexist experience I had, it got me reflecting on all of the small ways, the little ways that I had to navigate uncomfortable power dynamics related to gender, times where I had to kind of contort myself to be what I felt somebody else needed me to be. And long story short, you know, that experience and some research that I began to do around women in the workplace, coupled with a friend coming to me saying that she realized she was being underpaid, my aha moment was, you know what, if we negotiated our salaries, right, if we charge more, that would be one way that we could take command, that we wouldn't have to wait 200 plus years for the wage gap to close, right? Because I can't, you know, I, I'm a very, I'm an action-oriented person, right? So it's not just how does this sound? But it's like, all right, well, what do I do on Monday? What can I like, even just a small action? Because guess what? Small actions, if all of us take it, will have a groundswell of change. And I started Ladies Get Paid in 2016, where I was bringing women together to talk about money. I was hosting events saying, literally, what does money mean to you? Uh, in a town hall format. So, you know, a facilitated conversation that demonstrated the power of peer-to-peer -peer sharing, that it wasn't just about learning, but it was about recognizing that you were not alone because that was so much of the conversations that I was seeing around money, around work, was an element of um, shame, right? Am I the only one who's experiencing this? Fear of asking for more, fear of getting more. See, that was interesting. I have found that it's not just, you know, let me ask for the raise, but it's, am I worthy of the raise? And if I do get that raise, can I perform, you know, in the way that I've presented myself? And I didn't have any answers for this, right? It was just, clearly we all need to continue the conversation. And so I just created a Slack group, honestly, out of these events, invited everybody to continue discussing on Slack. And it was there that I was able to observe specifically the kind of education that was needed. And I started to hire coaches, career coaches, money coaches. I would find them office space. This was pre-pandemic, obviously. So we were meeting in person and recognizing that all of this stuff goes together in the sense of it's not just about teaching you how to negotiate your salary. It's how do you position yourself to get the yes, all the work that needs to happen before the conversation around your salary. And then it's not just about this year's salary, it's about what are you gonna do with the money? How are you making your wealth grow? 
because ultimately, you know, we're working for our money, but we got to make sure the money is working for us. And so I, I don't want to, you know, I've, I've never been motivated per se by, by money. I'm really motivated by, again, like freedom and power and money being the conduit of that. And it's fascinating. Now we've got in that Slack group, we've got 55,000 women, all 50 states, more than 120 countries. They've exchanged over 2 million messages since 2016. And everything that we create from our webinars to our conference, to my book, it's really come out of those conversations that I'm seeing happening and it's free to join. So come on, come on over guys. We want to include anybody and everybody who has a desire to level up and you know bring others with them. Yeah, absolutely. And I love um, what you're mentioning about it's not just the point at which you are negotiating a salary during the job offer process or during a promotional period in your organization. It's um, everything that comes before, during, and after. And I completely recognize what you're saying in regards to that feeling of imposter syndrome, especially in the tech industry where it's just, it's a very comfortable industry and people are earning more than maybe they've expected, or especially those mm-hmm. who are transitioning from other backgrounds or come from non-traditional um, backgrounds and careers who transition into tech and are suddenly making you know, the largest salaries of their lives. Maybe that imposter syndrome hits a little bit harder, um, especially for women or people who are you know, historically excluded from the industry. Yeah. I, I want to just, uh, everything, it's totally correct. There was this woman that I was speaking to the other day who had transitioned from freelancing for herself, uh, hit hard during the pandemic, then now is working for an ad agency. And she is up for a promotion and is nervous. So here's the thing, the money that she's making now, it's so much more than she was making before. So she feels really good about it. But here's the thing. She didn't really do research in the market. So she was comparing this year's salary to what she used to make, right? And what she's going to be going for in this coming year is compared to what she's making now. But I asked her, do you know if you're even being underpaid? So it's not about last year's salary because you also have grown. Like your role may have really changed, you know, the scope of what you're doing. Maybe you've worked on projects that brought in a lot of money for the company or saved the money, you know, save the company time and resources, which is of course money. So really make your case based on the market and the work that you've done, not on what's on your pay stub from years prior. Right. I love that we've been talking for a couple of minutes and you've already given like a very actionable (laughs) piece of advice for everyone that, you know, don't compare your salary, what you're asking for within your own bubble. It's so much more about the transparency and getting to know what the market or what the industry or what the organization is offering. Um, so there's yeah. so, so much more to dig into there. Um, I'm really curious how you have found in all of these conversations or in your Slack group, what piece of advice or effective communication you've shared with people who are in that stage of either um, negotiating an offer or asking for a raise. I know there's a lot that goes into it, but yeah, go ahead. Yes. Oh man. Okay. So I would say Let's first start with the math part. Okay, so this is the market. Cast a really wide net of real people that you're going to talk to. Okay, so not just the glass doors, pay scales. I mean, that is a place to start. But look at people who work at companies that are similar to yours in similar situations because compensation is contextual. Okay, so the way that HR pays you, it's based on a range. It's called a pay band. So within that pay band, People get paid different amounts depending on different things. So if you, let's say, brought in clients, right, you've got a pretty good network, or maybe you've even gotten somebody hired, you have, you know, uh, a master's degree or a special skill set, or, you know, you can make the case for more money. Talk to people who are in similar scenarios to you, location, size of the company, make sure they're white men, because if there is a wage gap going on here, you need to be talking to the people who are making the most money. Maybe challenge yourself. How about six, six real people? Go find them on LinkedIn. Now, you don't have to ask them straight up how much they make. You could present to them the research. This is the range that I have found. I am curious in your experience, am I off base? If we all share our salaries, we can all get paid more. That's the thing. Like make this bigger than you. So a lot of men are, I think, looking to be allies and just simply don't know how. This is a tangible way that they can do it by talking about how much they make and if they have any suggestions for how they negotiate it. After you do all that research, I want you to pick three numbers. 
because expecting that you're not going to get a yes on your top salary ask, well, what's the next one? I call it the comeback ask. And then of course, have your bottom line. So be prepared for the back and forth to maybe take two or three times. And so each time there's a no, you have another number in mind. Part of that also has to be things that don't include money that bring you value. This is called full compensation. This is about, you know, working from home and flexibility, career development, uh, you know, signing bonus, uh, title change, stock options. I mean, it really is limitless, but don't rely on them to offer it. You need to ask for it. So if you are not getting what you want, it's okay. How about a combination of this salary that's a little bit lower and, you know, this, this full compensation. Okay. Uh, and that, you know, a no was not yet. You can always ask for more information. How is compensation determined here? You know, what do I need to do in order to get the raise? So first it's the math stuff. It's not emotional. It's just data. Then you really have to know your place in the company and how you make the company money. And if that's hard for you, that just means you need to be doing more digging. Who can you talk to? How can we get creative in the way that you describe your impact on the business bottom line? Do you mentor people? It doesn't need to be official. But if you've done anything that helps the company culture, that is actually making the company money because it is expensive to lose people. And if your employees are unhappy, they're unproductive, they leave, think about how much it's going to cost to try to recruit amazing people, the learning curve that's going to happen. So just think creatively about your place in the company's ecosystem and do the kind of work that gets rewarded. Because what you may realize as you're gearing up for this negotiation is that you might need to be doing more work that's aligned with those business goals, more work that gets you in front of people of influence or, you know, in rooms with clients. And men, white men are just naturally given those opportunities. There's research that shows this. I'm not, this is not for me. Uh, there's, it's funny. There's actually a term called glamour work, glam work, uh, which is that, you know, men tend to get those opportunities where it is just more obvious how they make the company money. Whereas women and people of color tend to do more of the behind the scenes work, more of the supportive roles, you know, and, and so that's why, you know, if you're waiting to have the discussion about your salary at the time of the negotiation, it's a little bit late. You really want to be raising your hands for opportunities months in advance, uh, coming with ideas, talking to your boss transparently about your work. Is it going to be rewarded? Your raise should not be a surprise. And a good time to talk about this is when budgets are decided. So go find that out. And another good time to talk about it is when you've had a win. They want you to do well. Like your success is your boss's success. So, you know, this, this isn't something that should be, you should be afraid to do. And really, you know, couch it in terms of, I want to be a leader here. I want to grow. I want to help the company grow. And guess what? At the end of the day, you just ask them, if you were in my position, what would you do? Because they also have to negotiate their raise, whoever you're talking to, even the CEO of the company, they have a boss. It's to the customers, it's to the shareholders. We are all trying to figure this stuff out. So just let the fear go, come with an open mind, with research, be professional, be thoughtful, but be determined, be determined. They don't want to lose you. Yeah, absolutely. And especially now, especially during this oh, period where so many people are reconsidering their roles, there is such an emphasis on retaining the talent that you have today. So it makes so much sense what you were saying about um, if you are currently mentoring people, if you are personally retaining people on your yeah. team and building a culture where people want to work with you, I think elevating that to either you know, the place you're currently working or talking about that when you're interviewing for other roles and talking about what an important piece you are of the puzzle of the culture of your team or as a manager or leader. I think that's an especially salient point right now when, you know, so many people are just desperate to hold on to the, the team that they have in place. Yes, absolutely. If there was ever a time where you have the power, guys, I mean, really, this is a special moment where companies are looking for talent and especially if you're a woman or from a marginalized group, like shoot way higher than you ever thought you could. Like you literally have nothing to lose except your own opportunity. So, you know, and when you're going into an interview or they're praying you're the one, they want this to work out. So your presence, your excitement to be there, this is a gift to them. It's not about being arrogant, of course, but chances are you're downplaying yourself. 
So, you know, just they're happy to have you. They are so excited that you're there. So just show up as yourself and, um, and yeah, and just negotiate hard. Yeah, absolutely. I think everyone forgets walking into an interview or having nerves in that situation that the person on the other side of the table or the screen, the zoom screen (laughs) wants you to succeed in that process so that they can stop looking and that they can have someone who's already making an impact on their team. For sure. Definitely. Um, Well, speaking of people who are in this process, I know that we talked a bit before recording about your next book that you have coming out. I'd love to hear about um, what you have to share with people who feel like they are getting stuck in this process of looking for what's next, or, you know, maybe those in our community who are looking to pivot to different roles. Uh, The next book. So yes, my, my last book, Ladies Get Paid, it came out a year ago. It was a hard process. Wasn't expecting to write another one, uh, but I just saw in the last, you know, two years, this urgency, this agitation from our community, and we're not the only ones. I know this because of the great resignation to just make a change. And some people know what they want, and others just know what they don't want, and that's okay. That's the beginning part. By the way, if you have any like feelings, means you're alive. This is good. And the unknown is scary, but it also is opportunity. But the question is, how do you make the leap or how, what are the steps that it takes to change, right? To, you know, the, the process of self-invention. And I've always been fascinated by people who are, quote, self-made. And I started to do some interviews in my community of people who are self-made, who self-invented. And I don't have the book deal yet. So I'm in the process of pitching it. Although maybe, who knows, by the time this comes out, uh, But the idea of the book is, can I walk somebody through what it takes to self-invent? Real stories of real people, their process, breaking it down step-by-step. And it's going to be about savings, right? About your financial plan. It's going to be about managing the emotional roller coaster uh, that comes with making change and leaving behind, right? And, And shifting your identity. There's some grief. There's some loss in that. And I don't think we talk enough about what that's like when you are in the in-between. You're no longer doing what you used to do or you don't, you know, you don't want to do it anymore, but maybe you're not yet where you want to be. And you're in this kind of no man's land or no woman's land of who am I? So kind of figuring out the existential process along with the logistical and the financial process is just so fascinating to me and I think will be very helpful to other people. But, you know, it always starts with yourself and I'm trying to solve my own problems here as I'm figuring out what's next for myself. So, you know, stay tuned, but it's utterly fascinating work. And I'm just so inspired by our community as I watch them go through this process as they make really bold and quite brave changes in their lives. Yeah, absolutely. I know that, um, you know, so much of our identities are wrapped up in our work or, you know, maybe it's the role that you're in or the type of work that you're doing or the company that you work for. So even those who are changing roles or companies feel like this kind of shift in your identity where you have spent so much time building and working on something for one company and you might, you know, have some in-between period or you go to another and there is a kind of big shift that happens in that process. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, again, people tend to feel alone. Trust me, I'm seeing thousands and thousands of people sharing this stuff. So just if you're ever feeling, uh, asking for help is not burdening another person. It's giving them an opportunity to feel good about themselves, about their expertise. We all need support. So whether it's hiring a coach, getting a book, or just sharing your story with a friend, it's meaningful. It's powerful to do that. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely power in communities. And we, yes. we both see that in our communities and the people that we interact with day to day. And I think there would not be much movement in terms of closing the wage gap if there wasn't transparency and community and people talking about it. So absolutely. Absolutely. And by the way, speaking of uh, salaries, you know, or talking about salaries, it used to be illegal. Okay. And it's discouraged probably still in many companies. So in thinking about why was something illegal, like who was that benefiting? And it was benefiting companies because if you're underpaid, but you're not talking about it, well, how would you ever know? So that's no longer illegal, which means you should talk about it because it's bringing back power to yourself and to your colleagues. Absolutely. And in some states in the U.S., it is now going to be mandatory to have salaries listed on jobs, which, you know, seems like something that should have happened a while ago. It's amazing. Um, On our job board, we 
make it so that you can't list a job unless you have a, a salary or a range listed, which to me is just kind of cutting out that back and forth that you have yes. with the company towards, you know, when it's too late in the process and yeah. you already listed. Yeah. And, and you don't want to waste your own time. You don't want to waste their time. So have a sense, you know, from the first interview, what's the range, but don't negotiate until you have the offer. Otherwise you don't really have the leverage. And even if they say something's not negotiable, everything is negotiable. That's when you bring in the conversation around full compensation. Yes, absolutely. Going back to our earlier conversation, it definitely needs to be something that is an ongoing conversation as well. You know, once you have that job working towards, you know, what that next raise is. So it's definitely not a one and done conversation. No, because also your work is changing. You're changing. Like even thinking about how you've evolved, you know, over the past few years. And I think a good exercise for everybody, whether you're, you know, gearing up for negotiation or not, is to look at the original job description from when you were hired and then write up a new one based on what you actually did. And it's seeing that change, that personal development. Hopefully that means you're going to be really proud of yourself and proud of your work. And also see where did you really enjoy, like do the work that you enjoy and that lights you up because you will do a better job at that and you will be rewarded for it. So it's not just what the company needs you to do, but it's where can you really lean into your strengths? And for a lot of us, that's about our emotional intelligence. So don't forget, you know, it's not just the skill set. You are part of a team because of the dynamic that you bring to the team. And that's your humanness, right? That's unique to you. So really harness that. And that's where, you know, a good therapist comes, uh, you know, it's like the joke is buy the book, but also get a therapist. You really have to know yourself uh, as you do this work. Yes, absolutely. Pro therapy in all yeah. shapes and forms. <laughs> um, amazing. Well, speaking of just bringing your whole self and, and being your authentic self in the workplace and, you know, showing up every day, June is Pride Month in the U.S. And uh, we're both celebrating as queer women in you know, professional industries. Um, so I'd love to hear you talk more about how people can show up for themselves and, you know, find the roles or find the work that's meaningful for them where they can also, you know, come and be your 100% authentic self. Yeah. I know that's a hard question, but no, I think no, it, a lot it, of people are looking for. And my answer has changed over time, actually. I, you know, I used to be very much in the like, do work that brings you joy, you know, you have purpose. You know what? A paycheck's a paycheck too. And sometimes the best thing for your mental health is to have work, just be work. It's not your family. And then you have your full authentic self and work's just a small piece of it. It's not your entire identity. I'm kind of of two camps. I mean, the ideal is to, you know, be part of a company that at least shares your values, right? Like you have to stand by the kind of work that you do and the people you do it with. If it's toxic, if you feel like you need to change your personality, contort who you are, there's discomfort, that's not good. We don't want that. But does this need to be a place that you walk into and you want to spend all your time? Not necessarily. Like, again, you're at will, most people, right? Like, you could be fired tomorrow. So just be very careful about, you know, how much you wrap your identity up with the work that you do, even if you run your own company for myself, like I am Claire gets paid from ladies get paid, but I have to continually check myself because it's still a job, right? So it, it's interesting now. So again, bare minimum values are shared. You don't need to contort yourself, but do you want to bring your whole self to work? That's really up to you and how comfortable you are to do that. And, and who, you know, maybe select people that you want to share things with. It's personal, very personal to you. But just know that you actually have more options than you may realize. You need to have financial savings because if you are in a position where you don't feel safe to be yourself, the only way that you're going to feel okay about leaving, I think, is alternative options. And of course, another job offer, you know, that'd be wonderful. But until you get that, maybe you need to walk away. You need to have six months of savings. And if you can be in a place where you can fully show up as yourself and you're celebrated, I mean, how wonderful, but you still need to have some kind of separation between who you are and what you do, because that's going to change. And as we've seen in the pandemic, so much is out of our control. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love the, um, the emphasis on, you know, finding what is valuable to you and, and figuring that out and connecting that to your work, but also keeping and maintaining some sort of distance because yeah. you know, there have been company cultures where 
you are meant to feel like family and you're also very close, but like you mentioned, you know, sometimes oftentimes a job is a job and you have so much more outside of that. And going back to your identity being wrapped up in your work or in your, your role itself, you know, keeping that distance also and having that financial safety net. And like, that really is the foundation of being able to make those, those choices. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm really excited to chat with you today. Where can our listeners learn more about you and the work that you're doing? Um, learning more about, you know, all of your amazing salaries. Yeah. So come join ladiesgetpaid.com. It's free uh, to get, you know, to be part of the community. There's also a pro membership because you'll see we've got a really extensive video library of webinars that we've done. Um, And so becoming a pro member means you get access to everything for free. You can come to all of our our events for free. Uh, We also have a conference, Get Money, Get Paid on May 24th. It's virtual. It's also free. Ladiesgetpaid.com slash book. There's also, you're going to see on our website, a whole master course on salary negotiation, a whole master course on getting the job. So anything and everything we can do to provide education, we do it. Uh, You can also follow us on all the social platforms at Ladies Get Paid. And then me personally uh, at Claire Gets Paid. Also, my website's clairewasserman.com. And I always want to hear from, you know, the reason I do this is for you. Like, Otherwise, what's the point? So I want to hear from people who are listening, like share your journey with me, ask me questions. And yeah, I mean, I'm I'm so appreciative. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And if you could leave, you know, our community with one takeaway, everything you said resonated with um, being able to reach out and that people do want to be helpful to you and help you within your process. But is there one last takeaway you want to leave us with? I think that, you know, you only live one life. Like you're the main character. Yeah. You, you know, you're, you're the hero that you're the hero's journey. And so every choice, like your life will only be as big as the decisions that you make. So I know that some things are, you know, many things are scary and risky, but um, it's all an adventure. It's all a learning experience. Just again, make sure you have those savings, but take the leap, ask for more. You deserve it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much again, Claire. And thank you everyone for listening. Thank you everyone for listening. And if you wanted to learn more about reaching out for help and building that community, we have the Women Who Code Career Navigation Track where you can join and attend events on negotiating your salary, learning um, tips for the technical interview. So womenwhocode.com slash careernav. And if you are ready to apply for a new job and look for that next connection, we have the Women Who Code job board. So go to womenwhocode.com slash jobs and apply for any job that you think that you're qualified for. And even the ones that you don't feel like you meet all the, the qualifications, really encourage you to do that. Thank you again for listening and happy Pride Month. In the Women Who Code Career Nav segment of our show, You'll hear real-world advice from people who are currently working in the technology industry and personally know the steps needed to succeed. These talks will include both career advice as well as a look at the industry itself and its practices. Uh, I will welcome Rahat. Welcome, Rahat. Uh, We are building mental health resources in tech. He's here today to talk about the importance of self-care and keeping up your mental health while working in the tech industry. Rahat is a second career developer who comes from a background in customer support management. He is a mental health advocate, live coded streamer and rapper. He is also the founder of a mental health startup called Whimsor, which is aimed at helping people in tech manage their mental health. Rahat currently spends some of his free time mentoring new developers, coding and making music. Welcome Rahat, thank you so much for being here. Thank you um, for having me on here. Really appreciate that. be able to bring this talk to this platform. First of all, like, why are we even having this talk? Um, If you're someone who is at a company that is, um, you know, in a position of hiring, or you're able to get people into your company, uh, and you're trying to hire, or if you're just a person looking for a job, looking for your first beginning into tech, things that you kind of need to remember is that every line of code, every algorithm that's run, um, everything that executes on like a software or a website, all that is written by a person. Um, All of this automation stuff that happens originally written by a person. 
all these AI stuff originally written by a person. There are people behind every single thing, every bit of technology um, that is out there. And our mental wellness, our mental health directly affects the productivity of us being able to create these things, of being able to be successful in tech. And that's something I hope that a lot of employers, companies can start to realize and put more effort into um, building up their support for employees' mental health. I just want to throw out this huge number, uh, 200 million. So what, you know, why am I hearing this number? What does it mean? So I both love and hate this number at the same time. So this is the amount of work days that the CDC estimates we lose every year due to some form of mental illness, depression, anything else like that. That's a lot of work days. I hate it because like it shows like, yeah, we're, you know, it's, it's a huge problem. You know, we're, we're all kind of like suffering through it. But on the flip side, it also means that like when, when the first time that I saw this statistic, I was like, okay, maybe I'm not alone. Maybe there are other people who are going through some, some similar stuff as I am, right? Because there's no way I'm putting in 200 million lost work days in a year by myself. And that's one of the biggest things that I hope anyone takes away from this talk. It's like, you're not alone. Um, generally, we're usually not suffering alone. We're usually suffering in silence um, because we're not openly talking about these issues. We're not giving a space for people to, I guess, vent or be able to get these issues off of themselves or um, providing resources that can you know, help people out in those situations. The other thing to also kind of keep in mind is that 25% of people that you work with on a daily basis probably have some form of mental illness, whether it's like on your Zoom calls, on, you know, meetings that you have, you know, with um, people, interviews, whatever. 25% um, of our workforce is generally going through some type of mental illness. Also, this is from the CDC, um, all research done in uh, 2016. So this is sort of outdated information. Just imagine how much more it is now, or it was in 2020, uh, due to just the pandemic and everything and how people are just a little bit more openly talking about it. So there's a few different things I want to touch upon that come up, come up in tech a lot. Uh, the first thing is passion. So tech is sort of a weird career in the fact that unlike a lot of other careers, you're kind of expected to sometimes on the side be, you know, coding, you know, on your weekends, level up your coding, have a side hustle, do this, do that, just to like prove yourself to be, you know, better or uh, prove that, you know, you can code and whatever it is and that you're good at what you do. Um, a lot of other professional professions like, you know, being a doctor or a lawyer, as long as you have a certificate, um, you have a track record of like doing stuff in other jobs, you'll probably be fine. Um, Coding is one of those, or being a developer is one of those things where you have to constantly prove yourself over and over and over again um, to that you know how to code, that you know what you're doing. And um, I think one of the biggest things that we kind of ignore and we don't put enough emphasis on is that a passion for tech is not a requirement to be great at tech. It can be, you know, if you're passionate about it, that's awesome. That's great. I'm pretty passionate about it. I do a lot of side stuff, but that doesn't have to be a requirement for every single person. And I'd really like this to be something that, you know, I guess influencers and, um, you know, people in hiring positions can kind of like take into consideration a little bit more because some people are really, you know, just want to do it to be, you know, have a stable income, go home, spend time with their family, whatever, or, you know, do other things outside of work. And we have to work towards coming to a point where that's okay, where it's like, you don't have to have your whole life be wrapped around coding or, you know, improving yourself. And it's something that it took a lot of time for me to just be able to get off of like that train of thinking. Um, I knew you know, I needed to do some stuff just to stand out when I was looking for jobs. But at the same time, it wasn't good for my, my own mental health. I also, you know, I go through depression, I go through um, anxiety, social anxiety. And 
a lot of the things that tech kind of like forces you into to like stand out, like going to meetups, going to, um, you know, networking, things like that. These are all really hard for people who are, you know, have these um, mental illnesses and um, need, I guess, like additional help to be able to overcome those things. And the other thing that I also want to put in emphasize is that not every single thing you do needs 100% of your energy. Pa having a passion is great. Uh, yesterday, I actually spoke to someone who gave me some advice on like um, applying to a company that I really wanted to work for. And he had mentioned like, you know, highlight different things on your resume, tailor it to the uh, company that you're applying for. And this, this is great advice. I really enjoyed it. However, um, I also realized that this is not something I need to do to every single company I apply for. I can give my passion to a company that I really want to apply for. Great. Um, if I just want to apply for the sake of applying to see what happens, I don't need to put my passion into it. I don't need to put all my effort into it. Um, I think kind of selecting where you put your passion into um, is something important. You don't need to have every bit of code or every project you do as you're coding or you know, presenting something for uh, a job interview or whatever, have every little bit of your passion or, or, or whatever it is. Um, keep some of it for yourself, keep it for things that matter to you. Next thing um, that I wanna talk about is burnout. A lot of that passion stuff, a lot of that working towards um, you know, constantly trying to get better and improving as a coder leads to burnout. I'm gonna say something really cheesy, but I think it is pretty accurate. You know, when you burn a match, it only burns for a certain amount of time before the fire goes out. Super cheesy, but it's um, that's kind of like how we operate. There's only a certain amount of uh, energy that we all have, a certain amount of time that we can dedicate to something before we start to hate it. Um, burnout is something that's super, super common in tech and outside of tech in general. Um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about, you know, where I went through in burnout, but I wanted to first kind of bring back in this idea of like hustle culture um, that happens a lot on social media that happens a lot in just in general with like people, you know, trying to motivate others to, you know, get into tech. You hear a lot about, you know, you should always be moving, always be building. That's how you get to your target goal. And I think the thing that we don't add into this that really needs to be in here is that you also need to take some breaks in between. You, um, you need some time for yourself. You need to let yourself be um, tired, to let yourself just relax for a little bit. Because if you're always building, you're always doing stuff, you're missing out on other things, you're, um, you think you might be moving fast. And I'm going to be sharing a time where like, I thought I was moving quickly fast and moving fast was actually what slowed me down because of my burnout. Um, and that was when I was building my first startup. So this is sort of like a timeline I put together of different things I was doing um, while building my first startup. I got some designs, I started coding, I would update uh, my ideas, share it on social media, and then keep coding, building features, um, looking at new features, starting to build those out. At the same time, this was also when I was looking for my first job in tech. So I was looking for jobs, I was attending meetups and conferences. I was um, you know, trying to learn different technologies to keep myself competitive, to help myself stand out. Um, I was mainly a front-end developer, but then I was trying to also like learn Python or uh, some other stuff, some back-end stuff. And it was all a lot. It kind of just like piled one on top of the other, on, the, on top of the other. And then there was several months I was just tired. I didn't want to keep going. I didn't want to move forward because, you know, the combination of just like all the, all the things I was doing, still working full-time and things not being as successful as I hoped they would be kind of all came together and I was too tired to be able to do anything. And this is a position that I think a lot of people, especially in tech, put ourselves in. We think that, you know, again, I mentioned this over and over, is like we think we have to keep moving. We think we have to keep coding, keep updating 
um, you know, our skills and things like that. But I want to now share um, a more successful timeline, um, something um, I went through that I'm currently going through um, that's been helping and has been helping for me in building my current startup, which is Whimsor. Um, first thing, it was just like thinking through what I want to build. Take some time not to just like jump into a um, into the code, just plan things out, take it a little bit slowly, um, gather a team. You know, there are plenty of indie hackers out there. That's great. But sometimes if you just like understand the scope of things a little bit better, you might say, okay, I can't really do this on my own. Maybe I need some help. And asking for help is like, fine. It's totally cool. You don't need to do everything by yourself. And then you'll see three things in here that have nothing to do with code. Um, playing video games, spending time with my daughter, reminiscing with my wife about times when we could go out for dinner. Um, but this is just like me spending some time outside of code, spending some time just away from things, getting my mind away from the startup for a little bit. I'm also, again, while building this startup, looking for my second job. So having these things um, while um, you know, going through several rejections or whatever are great because it helps me take my mind off of things. Um, I can, you know, have some time to unwind. I like to write and make music. These are just different things that um, help me refresh and just like put myself together a little bit more um, and take care of myself. Just like give me just me time. I don't have to worry about building the startup. And I don't have to worry about coding out this new feature. I don't have to worry about, um, you know, applying for more jobs at this point. I can do that tomorrow. I can do that the next day. We tend to give ourselves like these arbitrary, like completely meaningless um, deadlines in our head. And I think meeting our own deadlines is usually harder than meeting like deadlines at work, meeting deadlines at like, um, you know, for projects that you're doing or whatever it is. And the way that I kind of like made sure that I was doing all this stuff um, was a lot of times I just like went into my calendar and I booked out time, like do not code at this point, uh, do something else, go play a video game, um, play, you know, spend some time with my daughter, take her out or, you know, um, play with her a little bit, talk to my wife, spend some time with the family. For me, I had to kind of like really force myself into it. Like it had to be part of my daily routine. It had to be part of my calendar for me to make sure that no matter what, I always took time away from the code. Um, because that's, you know, taking care of yourself is more important than anything that you'll make, anything you'll build, any work that you do for a company, for anyone else. And then beyond that, I was able to kind of like, you know, look at my vision for our startup, keep keep working at it. And now we're at a point where, you know, we're ready to la almost launch our beta. And I was thinking about this timeline and the last timeline between the two things. And last time I just, it was, I, was, I kept going, I kept going, I kept going, adding more stuff, adding more code. And then all of a sudden I was done. I couldn't do it. This time I took those, like just that time in the middle between doing all these things to unwind a little bit. And I was moving quicker and I was able to get to a goal faster because once you hit that burnout, it can be very, very difficult to get out of it. For me, when I was burnt out at that point, it was several months where I just couldn't move. I couldn't do anything. Um, there were several um, job opportunities that I kind of missed out on because I just couldn't bring myself to kind of like focus hard enough on them that I couldn't. Um, there were several like opportunities for my startup at that point where I couldn't really act on because again, I was too tired. I never gave myself that space to breathe. So the, one of the biggest things to kind of keep in mind is that when you slow down, when you stop, just for, even for just a little bit, what you're doing is building up more energy for you to be able to keep going in the times when it really matters, when you get those opportunities, when you have to, you know, put in your energy to do all those things. So it's kind of like 
you have to look at the trade-offs. Like, yeah, maybe I'm spending tonight um, watching Netflix with the family or, you know, having dinner or playing video games or whatever and not doing code. But now tomorrow I have more energy to focus on more of this code, more energy to take this idea to another level that I might not have been able to before because uh, because of my fatigue, I might've been not thinking through things properly, not being able to like see a bigger picture of things or whatever it is. And for me, that's I've, a lot of my success in this current startup that I'm working on is really just because I force myself to take breaks. Um, having someone kind of like to hold you accountable for that is great. Um, you know, whether it be a spouse, a friend, family, whatever, um, just like check in with them, um, kind of make sure that you're, you know, able to come back to what you need, uh, sort of like come back to, I guess, the real world, because your entire world is not just code. Um, the last thing I want to speak about is imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is something everybody kind of faces, um, whether you're, you know, just starting to learn how to code, whether you've been in code for a couple of years, whether you've been in code for like 20 years. Um, I remember um, seeing some stuff about um, the imposter syndrome I was feeling when I first started um, my, my current job. And my boss had kind of said, yeah, it happens. Like, you want to see imposter syndrome, look at me and this guy. We're like, we read some specs on like some GraphQL and now we're building out this entire like infrastructure that um, our company is going to be using. We have no idea what we're doing. We just read the document and we're trying to like make it up as we go. That's just, it's kind of like how everyone feels. We're all kind of making it up as we go. Um, senior engineers, junior engineers, whoever, um, we don't always have all the answers and we, I guess we just have to kind of like learn to be okay with that. Like a lot of the times when I started a new job, even like before moving into tech and whatever, I, in my head, it was all these thoughts of like, oh, I fooled these people into thinking that I could do this. Why did they actually want me here? I don't know. Now I have to figure out how to actually do this job or whatever. And there's like two, two sides of that. Like, okay, maybe you fooled them. But like, if you fooled them, then you did it pretty well, uh, because these are people who are, uh, you know, trained and um, their job is to figure out if you're going to be able to help them or not in whatever company um, they're at. So if you were that good to fool them, maybe you know something about what you're doing, right? Like, people, you know, hire you for a reason. Once you get there, it's like, getting over those feelings is tough. They'll, they're going to keep coming back. And the only thing we can really do is like kind of like take it a step at a time. And the way that I have usually tried to kind of deal with this is like writing out different accomplishments that I um, go through as I, um, as I as I finish them out. So this is something I started doing this year, um, January. Um, I started a tweet thread and in it, I just put in like different accomplishments um, that I've done, whether it's like shipping a um, open source project, contributing to some code base or whatever it is. Um, you don't have to put this on Twitter. It can be something, you know, personal to you, write it down on a notepad, in a Word document that you only have access to, whatever. It doesn't matter where it is. Just write down the small little wins that you have along the way. It doesn't have to be anything big. It can be, today I learned how to write a function in JavaScript. Today I learned about dictionaries in Python. Um, anything, it, it doesn't matter. It can be, um, you know, as simple as, you know, I cloned this repo and I'm looking through the code to see if I can contribute to it. That's an accomplishment. You started on doing something, you know, awesome. And I think as you like pile on all these like small wins, once you get to those points where like, oh no, I don't know, I don't know if I can do this. It's usually something huge. It's usually like I'm assigned a feature at work and I don't know if I can tackle this huge thing. But then I can go back to this list and there's like, although there's these are these may be like smaller things, not as big as this feature, there'd just be so many things that I can look through and remind myself of of things that I've accomplished over the past year, over the past three years, whatever it is, that it 
can overpower that bigger thing that you're trying to tackle. And I think that's really one of the biggest ways of like really tackling imposter syndrome, maybe not fully tackling it, but letting you kind of get out of that space that you might be stuck in when you're going through those thoughts of thinking, oh no, what if, you know, I'm actually not as good as I thought. Um, this week I got a rejection from, you know, a company I really wanted to work for. And for a while, I for a while I was just like, oh no, like I got rejected. I don't know if I, th if I'm good as I thought I was, if, um, you know, if I'm just going to be stuck at the, at my current job where I don't want to be stuck at, uh, I mean, is this, you know, where I'm just going to be and coming back to this tweet thread and looking at some of the stuff I've done this past January and, and the end of last year and thinking through that, um, helped me kind of take myself out of that, um, help myself see that, okay, this one didn't work out, but look at this other stuff that I've done. Um, I've, you know, I've been on this podcast. I've been, I've been doing talks. I've been, um, you know, shipping open source projects. Okay. I didn't get that job, but this is all stuff I can use to help me get another job. Right. So just like having this list for myself has been um, helpful. I put it out in hopes that, you know, other people will try to do kind of the same thing. Uh, and again, doesn't have to be public. It can be just for yourself. No one else has to see it but you because it's you're the only one who matters um, in that case. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission, and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash women who code. Thanks again for listening and remember, to subscribe, rate, and comment.